0: Enjoy the show. Beaming at you from the depths of the internet. This is the Temple of Geek Podcast. Your one stop for all All things things geek. geek.
1: So today with us on the Temple of Geek Podcast, we have Mike Chen. And we're going to have him say hello and introduce himself to our listeners
0: hello i'm mike chen um i am suffering from really bad allergies right now so i'm sorry if my voice cracks a little bit i'm a sci-fi writer my books are here and now and then a doctor who inspired time travel story about a father and a daughter and uh, the recent release a beginning at the end a post-apocalyptic story with lots of feelings in it uh, i also write for star trek.com tour.com the Portalist, the mary sue and other geek sites
1: that is a very impressive resume you have there mike so um I first read your book here and now and then and um like I just want to say I was really blown away with it if you are a fan of Doctor Who if you're a fan of Star Trek this is definitely a book for you but the one main thing that I took away from the two books that you have written is the hope and the humanity and the kindness in your books, and um, I guess maybe we can start with uh, "Here and Now and Then." Um, can you tell us a little bit about your book? Because you already kind of mentioned it, um, but just like I want to know, like, where did this like story come from? Where did you like first come up with this concept? So um,
0: the the basic uh, pitch line for "Here and Now and Then" is: there's a secret agent, a time traveling secret agent kind of like Captain Jack Harkness, but not as sexy or fun. Uh, From the year 2142, um, he works for the Temporal Corruption Bureau, and they basically make sure the timeline stays in place. And he's sent to, oh, and he looks like Idris Elba. That's very important. Um, He uh, is sent to a mission in 1996, and he gets stranded there, and his rescue does not come. So he does what I think is the human choice, where he decides after a a while, he's going to start a family, he's going to live a life, he's going to get a job and kind of uh, assimilate into the area. And then, 18 years later, he gets married, he has a daughter, and his rescue finally comes. And they pull him away, and they say that you've created a paradox with your daughter. And that is the that is the crux of the story. of How does this father stay connected to his paradox daughter as forces are trying to tear them apart? Um, it's actually inspired by... So, I, I was... I tend to get inspired by the media that I'm consuming at the time. And obviously, you know, I was, this, this was originally written around 2013, so, uh, I mean, I always watch a lot of Doctor Who. It's like my comfort food. But we were watching more than a regular amount. Um, and also, I think at the time we were binging through Torchwood again. And then just randomly, I think on BBC America, because they, they like to put Who and Star Trek back-to-back. And I saw... <clears throat> School Reunion, where the Tenth Doctor meets back with Sarah Jane, and then uh, the Next Generation episode, The Inner Light, which is the one where Picard is hit with the probe that knocks him out, and he lives an entire lifetime of another um, species, and then he wakes up and only like eight minutes have passed. So both of those deal heavily with the theme of time and distance and relationships, and so that really got me thinking in this, and then I started to think about like, okay, if you're going to do this, Uh, The Time Traveler's Wife has been done. So, and I think I'm really bad at writing, like, marriage or romance, like, adult-to-adult partner relationships. So, if you're going for, uh, in fiction, you're looking for the highest stakes. And the highest stakes would be parent-child next to that. So, that's kind of the, the genesis of that.
1: One of the things that I really love is the way that you write women. And, like... I in both here and now and then and also in a beginning at the end you don't make them rivals or anything you don't make like women they're just kind and they're good and they're no matter what their situation is I just love the way that you've ridden women um but like where do you find that because obviously you're you're a man so like you know where do you find like the inspiration for these women or like where do where does that come from and then also like I know you have a daughter. Is your was the father-daughter relationship inspired by that, or did she come after?
0: So I'll answer that one first. Um, the father-daughter relationship. She was born while I was seeking an agent for it. So I, I did have her um, when I, after I signed with my agent and I was doing revisions, and that, f- the, the physical caretaking of a newborn fed into some scenes, just like the little details that I knew firsthand now. When I first started writing this in 2013, we had, a, we our daughter was born, I believe I was 36 and my wife was 35, plus or minus a few years. It's all a freaking blur. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, for the longest time, our friends thought we were the ones that weren't going to have kids. Um, and then after we gradually got to know our friends' kids, we were like, this is cool. We can do that. And that was around the same time that the, the book started to come together. So I think it was, we started to think about it, but also a big part of it really was the idea that um, if, if you're not going to write about partner relationships, then the, the other way to go high stakes in a relationship Uh, story is parent-child. So it kind of started from there, but then it amplified as my personal experience got into it. Um, Your question about women. So Penny, I should point out, is physically modeled after Jenna Coleman, um, who (laughs) I have the biggest crush on. (laughs) Um, There is a whole bunch of who cast in Here Now and Then, physical models, and if you read the acknowledgments, um, they're all pointed out. Um, So I'm... I've considered myself a very progressive person since since I was a kid. Um, And I think because, like, I don't... When you're a nerd in the 80s and 90s, you can go two ways. You can be angry about it um, and and be, like, very anti-everything. Or you can just be, like, you know, I feel different and I like other people who feel different, too. Um, And I think that creates a level of, like wanting to create a space for everyone. Um, and so, you know, like, the way that, the society has embraced different levels of, uh, you know, uh, sexuality or gender or stuff like that, like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm like a pioneer or anything, but like, you know, I was, when I, f- when I first started understanding, you know, different things, and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And I would, like, if I caught my friends making jokes or whatever, I would try to speak up for them. So, um, it made sense if I'm going to have women in my book, and especially if it's going to be a heteronormative relationship, um, I did not want any sort of love triangle, rivalry, pettiness, or anything like that. So even though there is in this story you have uh, um, a man who again looks like idris elba <laughs> um who is divided between two times and, and two families um i think it's i wanted to make sure when i was working with my editor like that was one of the key things like it had to be it had to feel okay it was very very important to do that like it, it couldn't be like um you know, picking one or the other, there had to be a very real fallout to this. And there's several chapters where where the main character is specifically dealing with this and not feeling right. And there's a specific arc about him walking into reality of what's happening. In the new book, A Beginning at the End, the two women leads um, they they do not compete for romance at all, and they are um, they fight with each other to become friends. Um, and that's really important to me. And my my book that uh, is coming out next year it's a superhero story called We Could Be Heroes. And there's a superhero and a supervillain. And though they are uh, the male is uh, bisexual and the female is heteronormative, um, there is not a hint of romance in there. It is very it was very important to me for that story to be about fighting for friendship because I really think that's really really important these days because it's so easy to just fall into the cliche of Oh, you have two people who theoretically could be attracted to each other, so you have to ship them, and I didn't want to do that.
1: And I really, really feel that. Um, So, and you were talking about your second book, uh, A Beginning at the End. So when I was reading it, I was having a hard time with the news because sometimes I feel like I'm an empathetic person. And so when I see things in the news, it hurts me. Like, it hurts me to see other people in pain. It hurts me to see what's going on in the world. It hurts me that I can't make a change. I can make a change in my own life with my children and try to raise them as best I can. But it's so hard when you want to, like, heal the world and you can't and you start to kind of feel like a loss and like a despair you're just like oh my god like the world's just terrible right now right so then I was reading your book and it literally starts at you know and it's so weird. It's so timely, your book, right? So, like, this disease, this flow goes through, like, a plague and wipes out, you know, most of humanity, and there's, like, these survivors who, you know, are just kind of, like, trying to restart society, relive their lives, and, you know, that sounds depressing and terrible, and I was thinking, like, is this, like, the Walking Dead kind of thing? Is it going to be all crazy and anarchy? But your book is full of hope. It's full of goodness and kindness and it's about found family found friendship and i love that so much and i feel like it's really timely right now and like you said the women in the book are not like rivals which is something that i've read too many times you know and there's also like um there's, like, a romantic, like, element to it, but it's also, it's a, it's a romance that starts as friendship, and it's not necessarily, like, you know, oh, love at first sight kind of thing, and I really love that. Um, where did you find the aspiration for this story, and how did that come about?
0: So it's funny that you mentioned The Walking Dead, because, so, uh, I first drafted, the initial version of this was from 2011, and we had just started watching The Walking Dead, um, and it was before... It got really mean when it was still very character focused and there's a specific scene um <clears throat> a lot of people f- made fun of it it's in season two on herschel's farm and it's laurie and carl and laurie is making carl do homework while the rest of the team is out like gathering supplies or whatever and i remember watching uh, the after show and they were making fun of it they're like oh that sucks you got to do homework in the zombie apocalypse and i felt like no, no, that's a real human moment. That's a real parent moment. I wasn't a parent at the time, but it was still, it was like, that made sense to me. And I loved that it was, it showed Lori trying to find normalcy in this chaos and feeling like her main responsibility was to be a parent. And so from, from that, that kind of sparked off a series of questions in my own head. And obviously, The Walking Dead went way in the other opposite direction. Um, But for me, I thought the interesting space in post-apocalyptic media, you either usually have like the first year or two of the fallout, where everyone's just like trying to survive, trying to understand, and being really brutal to each other, you know, getting into these battles over resources. Or you have like a hundred years in the future where it's like shifted into a dystopia, and several generations have lived through this already, so they like it's normal for them, whether it's zombies or um, a dystopian government like the Hunger Games, they're used to that. Now, I think there's a really interesting space where if, if something like a pandemic or the zombie apocalypse or something happened, but society was pushed to the brink, did not quite end, and was able to recover, when you get to that stability point that's when you have all these people who have lived through trauma and and if you if anyone listening has lived through trauma or has read about it um usually like you're in survival mode and like you're, you're numb nothing happens to you and then when you get out of it suddenly everything hits you and you can either hide from it or you can work through it with help and which is obviously the healthy way to do it um and so i wanted to tell a story about trauma but also like on a global scale um, and to do that has it, it, to go into this period of time that isn't really covered in post-apocalyptic fiction
1: that's amazing <laughs> I love that I mean I don't love that that's you know what I mean like I love that that was your inspiration and your draw and then the characters in that one are really fun because you have like a pop star who goes into hiding and like is trying to like hide her identity a dad who's trying to deal with like you know you know his his wife did not survive the you know the epidemic and you have you know him trying to raise his daughter again another daughter in your book and then you have just another woman who's lost pretty much everybody and is just dealing with it but something that was really cool about what I noticed um in your book was like you know that there were people who were not affected by this and so it was like two different ways of of living through this some people got to keep their entire families intact and the way they lived their life was very different to the ones um Who didn't? And can you speak to that a little bit?
0: So the idea behind that is, um, so obviously, like my name is last name is Chen. I'm a person of color, Um, and uh, the idea of the person who um, has lived through, survived the virus, and like has his whole immediate family intact, it's almost like coming from taking the examination of someone coming from a position of privilege, but they're unaware of it, and. Like they just can't quite grasp it, and everything's just like, oh, it'll be fine, you know, it, it's cool, like, we're all here now. And that person can't empathize, or perhaps probably even refuses to empathize a little bit, um, because he's surrounded by his immediate family who are all kind of doing the same thing. And it, it comes from, you know, uh, having known people in my life who are like, you know, they, they downplay like, oh, it was just a joke, type thing, like where they make racial jokes or homophobic jokes or whatever, or, you know, the people who, um, like, after the election's in, like, oh, the sun rose tomorrow, everything's fine, obviously everything is not fine, and, uh, you know, our friends in, like, the LGBT community or Muslim friends and all those... Different demographics are like their rights are being infringed, and it's for the uh, it's it's an analog to the people who they they don't feel it because they don't personally experience it. Um, and I think like the the apocalypse is a way to do that without really necessarily getting political, but and then also showing how it's very easy to have blinders on when it's outside of your own personal sphere, and if um. If you're trying to connect with people outside of that sphere, if you don't empathize with them and connect with them, then you could lose them. And that's their choice. And that's totally okay.
1: Yeah, I I really love that. And you make so many of those points so subtly, so beautifully. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about the inspiration for these characters
0: So, the um, beginning at the end has three characters. There's Krista, who is a wedding planner in the apocalypse. There's Moira, who used to be a pop star uh, named Mojo. um, And now she's trying to hide under her name Moira. And then there's Rob, who is a single dad. (laughs) His wife died in the quarantine. So, the initial idea for this was... um, Was... uh, The idea of, once I came up with the idea that I want to do like a family story in here, uh, I was thinking of About a Boy, the Nick Hornby book, in the apocalypse, um, with some of the roles switched around. So in About a Boy, you have Will, who's like the cool single guy, and Marcus, who's like the, the troubled youth, and then, uh, I'm totally blanking on the mom's name right now. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's Tony Collette yeah so you have an analog here where krista is the disaffected single person um sunny is the 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 troubled youth and then you have rob who is the single parent trying to raise through trauma so that's where the, the initial model came from krista the idea of having her be a wedding planner in the apocalypse the idea it was first it was just a joke it was like What's the most useless first world job that you could come up with? I and mean, like wedding planner, like that literally does not need to exist. Our society would be fine if it just evaporated. So in the apocalypse, um, could someone do that? In the apocalypse, it makes for a really good pitch. Like when someone asks, like, "What's your book about?" Oh, it's a wedding planner in the apocalypse. It's you know, it's so weird that it's funny. Um, but then I I dug into how do you make this realistic? So what a wedding planner does is goes out meets people connects with them organizes things and brings people together and in this world of trauma you have people who are afraid to come together they like the government is emphasizing um marriages and children because that's the way to restore society but people are afraid to do it so you have Krista, the wedding planner who was so traumatized by her own childhood that her her fearlessness is a shield. It's all calloused over her own internal trauma. But because of that, she can just go like, and so she she thinks like the rest of the world is weak and she just goes and tries to do go out and meet people and does c- connects with people because she uh she can't she's not afraid of it even though like on a personal level she's deeply afraid of it um <clears throat> and then rob this is the you know the the idea of looking at like how do you parents in the apocalypse more the pop star I thought was a really interesting idea of taking someone who's basically the most famous person in the world like if you took t- Taylor Swift at age 19 and then the apocalypse happened and then she decided I don't wanna be Taylor Swift I want to be you know Tara someone or something like that um, to go from one extreme to the other and I have watched a lot of documentaries about like former pop stars from the 90s and how they just hated the experience and they were just used by their parents and their managers and stuff and you know they were all really really damaged from it and the only way that they recovered is to get out so i kind of merged all of those ideas together to form these
1: characters that is amazing and so your new book that you your new book that you have coming out. Um, tell us a little bit of like what are you allowed to tell us about that?
0: Um, I can tell you that it's in final edits right now, and I should be working on it instead of being at Gallifrey, but, but I'm at Gallifrey. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so it's called We Could Be Heroes. Uh, oh, for the Gallifrey crowd, the protagonists are Jamie, who his villain name is The Mind Robber, and uh, Zoe, who doesn't have a Doctor Who-inspired uh, superhero name, so, but Jamie and Zoe, and there's a lot of second and third Doctor references in there. They, um, instead of being in San Francisco, it's Sam Delgado, named after Roger Delgado, lots of little things like that. Um, so that's basically how I name things in my books, is I take something that I really love, and I just make all these Easter eggs because I'm terrible naming things, so I just make lists of things, and I just stick them in there. Um, so We Could Be Heroes is about the, a superhero and a supervillain who start off at odds, but they find each that uh, they are at the same anonymous support group, and they become friends through that, and then they realize who the they're Who each other is and they decide to put aside their differences to discover how they mutually got their powers and like the greater i guess evil in the world um which is uh i won't give away too much but there's also a lot of uh tomb of the Cybermen (laughs) easter eggs in there too um so that comes out in january 2021 we're in final edits right now the summer is when advanced copies and cover and stuff start coming out um i really love these characters they're kind of like a Mulder scully type of relationship where one is a thinker and one is a feeler they bounce off each other and they're both just these like loser dorks and they form this friendship that i really love to write um then so it, it was a lot of fun it's very different in tone from my first two books it's a little bit less bleak i think um at least like the, the surrounding area, you know, like the backdrop is less bleak. But uh, it, it's it's really about friendship. It's about choosing who you are, whether or not that role was assigned to you, and choosing who you want to be friends with.
1: Wow, that sounds fantastic. And you did mention we are here at Gallifrey One 2020. Um, what has been so far your favorite part of Gallifrey One?
0: Um so I haven't actually seen much of California 1 because I have my five-year-old daughter here who is not into it at all, even though she loves watching Doctor Who with me. Like, she will say, like, she wants to watch the Shark Snake episode, which is uh, Prisoner Zero from uh, The Eleventh Hour. Or, um... The one where the doctor jumps through the clock, which is obviously going in the fireplace, or uh, the lady doctor falls into the train, so, so she has her favorite episodes, she loves Doctor Who, and we're walking through the hallway, she goes, it's the lady doctor, it's the, the bow tie doctor, um, we saw K-9, you know, like, so she sees all these things, but she's just kind of bored by it because it's a lot of panels and stuff. So I haven't seen too much but last night so my daughter loves swimming and I can't get her out of the the damn pool. And so she insisted on going to the pool at like seven thirty last night. And so we're coming in and then I see a trio of women and then one of them go I think wow, that is an amazing bull cosplayer. She looks just like Pearl Mackie. And then this woman bends down, says hi to my daughter, and says like, oh, did you just have a fun swim? And I'm like, oh my god, that was Pearl Mackie." And I'm um, just like, I, mean, I go in the elevator, and my wife is half asleep, and I go, I, I think I just saw Pearl Mackie." She said hi to Amelia. And then my wife's like, oh, that's cool. And then she goes back to sleep. <laughs> so I think that's probably the highlight. But like, other than eating breakfast and dinner, like we haven't really done much here. <laughs>
1: Well, I hope that the rest of your Gallifrey one goes much better. <laughs> and I mean, just seeing Pearl is a highlight, right? Like that's already really great. Um, where can people find you online or where can they find you, your your website and things like
0: so my books are widely available i know there are some weird distribution issues like um in the uk and australia but other than that they're widely available and i think you still can get them there it's just like sometimes it takes a few weeks um uh, general news is at mikechenbooks.com i don't update my website enough i really should on social media i'm most active on twitter where i do a lot of doctor who and star trek gifts. Um, and I talk about Star Wars a lot, and I share a lot of pictures of my dog, who is named River. Her, her name is Riversong River, River Tam Chen, so she is two rivers: River from Firefly, River from Doctor Who. Sometimes we call her River River. Um, and there are more pictures of River on my Instagram, which is basically just book promotion and dog pictures.
1: Well, thank you so much. I don't think I gave my handle
0: for that, sorry about that, it's at Mike Chen Writer, M-I-K-E-C-H-E-N Writer, and it's very important to have that distinction, because you have Mike Chen, the YouTube food guy, who's like got millions of followers, and I get his fan mail sometimes, um, and then there's uh, Mike Chen, the, the startup guy on Twitter, and uh, I'm not either of them, I'm Mike Chen, the Writer, so Mike Chen Writer on Twitter and Instagram.
1: Get it right, folks. Get it right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time this morning to talk to me and to our listeners about your books. I really recommend them, you guys. Last year, I spent the whole time at Galley, like, hyping up this book because it's just, I think it's perfect for Whovians. I think it's perfect for fans of Star Trek. And it honestly if you watch the expanse because i'm really high on the expanse it definitely has that kind of feel so it's some of the best sci-fi that i've read in a really long time and so just go out and get his books i really really recommend it anyways that's gonna wrap up this episode of the temple geek podcast thank you so much for being here
0: please follow us on twitter at temple of geek follow us on facebook at facebook.com slash temple of geek and remember to visit temple of your one stop for all things geek goodbye this will conclude our transmission